Welcome to episode 7 of Companions of the Perception Check. Tonight we'll be discussing using monster races as player characters. I am joined tonight by... Zachary. And Michael. Welcome, guys. Good to be here. So to, to kick this off, monster races... What are what are let's let's just define it because I suppose you could you could say that as humans even in a, a fantasy setting non-humans could be considered monstrous. Yeah, well, for one, all the major actual monster races um, we'll be discussing tonight are of evil alignment for one thing and are generally low and. Uh, often large number um, villains in an adventure and usually aren't anything the players do anything with other than killing them. They're also um, specifically meant to be NPCs as listed in Bolo's Guide to Monsters. So we're, we're dealing with cannon fodder monsters or cannon fodder, I don't know, what would be the yeah. correct term for Just I don't bear kick your ass, so... <laughs> I think one of the things, too, though, is if you look at a lot of the the traditional non-monster player characters, the dwarves, the elves, gnomes, half-elves, you know, they're all characters that look very much human um, in a lot of ways, but maybe have some slight differences, whereas there's a lot more significant differences with some of the monster-type characters. Right. I say you even could say that with culture, because, like, the... Hobgoblin, bugbear, kobold cultures are much, much more removed from humans than, and often in a very dystopic way, so, so to speak, than, uh, than the cultures of other races. Because, I mean, lizard folk are weird, but they kind of had the noble savage thing going on. And Kenku are had the weird they can only mimic things and can't do anything original either in speech or action. But even there, there's nothing inherently weird or evil about their culture, which you don't really, which you kind of have with the others. I was about to say that as well. It seems that the 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 non-monstrous player character races are in many ways, human-esque in their cultures. While the the list we've got here tend to be, I would say, a, a dark reflection of our of our worst as humanity of our worst characteristics. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, bugbears are practically gangster, thug, assassin sort of types in their society. Hobgoblins are militarism at its worst. Um, kobolds are—I don't even know where to begin with them. But yeah, I think uh, I think tonight we'll skip over the cannon fodder of. Uh, of our favorite race here, the, the lizard folk, just because I think that should go into a, an, its own podcast of 
what the hell, DM? Why are we slaughtering nothing but uh, lizard folk? Yeah. Also, in this episode, we're mostly sticking with the ones that the thing even sets aside is not really, you know, used with caution. Ones like lizard folk are intended to be for players. Cobalt, uh, Duanti, and their ilk really aren't. I mean, it's not that you can't be them, you just gotta be careful. Well, my. Th- does it mean. I mean, w- with most of these, there's very little redeeming quality. It, it would seem to be that it would be very difficult to bring any of these into a good aligned campaign while they would fit very well into an evil aligned campaign. No, I, I, also I mean, think a lot. It could depend on the campaign type style you're doing. I mean, you know, if you're doing like, say, a straight hack and slash campaign where there isn't a whole lot of storytelling or, or role play or character development with it, you know, some of the some of these classes can have use or races can, can have uses. But, you know, if you're if you're if you are trying to to to, to bring out some of the role play and the immersion um, story development, things like that, these characters don't really align well with that Um if you're trying to focus on a standard campaign. Also, uh, if you think about it, uh, if you're going to do a full, like we like to do, the 0 through 20 sort of deal, you know, go the whole gamut of levels, if you look at the, I mean, I want to focus mostly on mechanics tonight, but if you look at the cultures of these people, except for maybe the Yuanti, most of them think pretty small. I mean, maybe the Hobgoblins, but I mean, Orcs is just raiding... Kobolds mining to try to find their god and pretty much leave us alone. Uh, goblins inflicting pain on very small scale. Bugbears is just be lazy and then go out and hit someone every now and then. Hobgoblins bring areas under tribute, but any world-changing things they're not really interested in. Yeah, I, I, I see that. I, I do see they would in in in, in a role play style game that that we we play would it would definitely be harder because they're you're right their their view of things is much smaller. You know, you can have a you can have a, a lawful good power hungry human you know, wizard who who's out to, you know, conquer the conquer the world, but how, you know, you, you really can't do that with a bugbear when they're just kind of more of protection racket, and the more I can do without actually getting up's the best. So. Okay, speaking of which, let's uh let's move on to bugbears. They'll be our first ones to go through. Now bugbears, despite their name, I I didn't know this. Of course, I'm relatively new to the game that they are a goblinoid. Yeah. Uh the largest of the of the most common kind. And also very stealthy. They're, I, I reading through the description in Volos, 
they reminded me a lot of cats. Would rather would, would rather just cut they're they're stealthy and move silently and, and pounce on their prey, but you know twenty three and a half hours of the day if they're sleeping, they, they prefer that. Yeah, and another thing that reminds you of cats is even the build and what they're good at. Because a tiger can get right behind you and you won't know they're there. And that's pretty much the first thing you know is they've hit you and you're down. Well, in your, in your thoughts for the making these playable, you recommended a uh, racial feature of a starting plus two to strength and plus one to dexterity. No, no, this, is, this isn't making them playable. These are the stats. Oh, the these book. are the stats in the book? Oh, I must have missed yeah, that. Yeah, I, I copied for the, uh, for, Like, if you're basically starting a character, you do the, these stat adjustments for them. Okay, so, well, the stat adjustments of, are plus two to strength and plus one to dex. And, you know, A lot I, of races, when you add in the, uh, when you add in the sub-race category to them, too often have plus three to their stat points. Oh, uh, so, no, I've, I've got... No, no issue with with the, anything like that. I, I really do think that that is probably. I think that is very well done. Um, probably balance wise. Um, I mean the giving giving having them have dark vision with surprise attack. Uh, powerful build, stealthy. I mean that with a long limb. That long limbed is actually deceptively powerful because it effectively it effectively uh, I think uh, normally take it it actually more than doubles their their range of places they can hit in a with a melee attack. And that's if they're using a weapon that normally, you know, is you have to be right next to them. Because they can long limb, they can hit things up to 10 feet away with a melee attack with something that normally is 5 feet. It really increases their threat reach. Also makes them really good at making opportunity attacks. No, if you're, if you're within there, if you're within, you know, 10 feet, you know, you're probably getting ready to attack. I'm imagining a scenario where bugbears have appeared and you're able to see one perhaps further into the into the uh, melee and you're trying to move. That get that does give them an extra Yeah. Extra reach. I, I do agree. That's that is deceptively I didn't... I didn't put it all in notes, but I think every single one of these creatures has dark vision. But and almost every playable race does too, so it balances out. All the good ones do at least. Those humans stumbling around can't see anything at night. Um, you know, I think I think mechanically, they're it. I don't know the giving them surprise attack, powerful build, stealthy. You know that's they're they're supposed tend to be 
I guess the heavy tanks of, of the goblinoid family. Yeah. In some ways, though, they make a really strong second-line fighter. Not not a ranged fighter, but a second-line. You know, you put the cannon fodder up front, and you have to get through them to get to the bugbears. Then you have the bugbears with the long limb breach, and everything are taking things out from basically the second row back. That, I mean, yeah, that... If I were planning a goblinoid campaign, that is probably how I would do it. Because you can stuff a whole bunch of just regular goblins up front and have them take all the take the brunt of the the damage while the bugbears start sweeping through. Also, think I was thinking about if you had a bugbear rogue. Bugbear rogues can use sneak attack as long as one of their allies is adjacent to the enemy. They can actually attack from behind that ally. Like literally not adjacent to them, just basically swinging an axe or something over their shoulder with their long limbs. And in terms of, of like, if you were to play any specific type class or role in any of the fighting, specific, basically a non-casting class, non-magic users are, would be a really strong class to pick with the, uh, the stat redistribution that they have and their uh, additional traits and features. Yeah. Although I, I'd, I'd say... They would be very... I don't know. They, they would be very formidable even as a spellcaster because most spellcasters tend to get a little bit weaker when you get get them into melee range even even giving a, a spellcasting bugbear a just a simple quarterstaff can still they'll still be able to wallop you before a fighter gets close enough yeah I think they're really uh, they're really built for fighter, barbarian, or rogue mostly though. Oh yeah, they would. I I agree. A a bugbear rogue would probably just be ridiculously unbalanced. Also, another thing, bugbears just remind me of with their skills. Uh, just because I saw it at a zoo, like in a you know like a show thing. Elephant, because the way elephants feed are, they make absolutely no noise when they walk, which is sort of what I get from them because they're just so big, but also can hide in everything better than all the other ones and move silently and all that. I can I can see that. Now you've got visions of elephant rogues starting in and out of the forest. In my head, I think I found Megan's yeah. next character. She can use her elephant figures for it, and we'll stat it as a bugbear. Yeah. Well, I think uh, we're in agreement. Outside of outside of a ridiculously overpowered rogue, I think it's I think it's a fairly balanced. Yeah, that uh, one, that one I think really works. Well, let's move on to the more cannon fodder of the group, the just plain old goblin. It's... Uh, everyone loves goblins. I well, love goblins. 
they they tend to be very oh, what is the what what's the word I'm I'm looking for? They're more I don't know, they're they're more packish, I should say. Yeah. If anything, they're more like a instead of a a, a group of cats like the bugbears, they're more of I guess a, a group of raccoons. A herd of lemmings. Yeah. Herd of lemmings. I don't know. I, I'd say I I could see lemmings, but I, I'd say more of like rac. They're they're more akin to, to raccoons, just not as stealthy. Yeah. You can really call them that. And even though they're not huge goblins, most of the time the way they approach their god and everything, they're just plain mean too, kind of like a raccoon. So. Yeah. So the the goblin ability scores are plus two to dex and plus one to constitution. Yeah. Although from reading the their description in Volos, I'd I would disagree with that. If I had to place anything, I would keep the dex as it was, but I would probably give them a minus one to intelligence. Yeah, they're they're not too bright. Um, but then again, you do have some uh, you do have some smart ones, and the novels have some history of some uh, of some. There's like Najin or Najin from uh, from Drizzt, uh, and then there's Gleed from the Chosen of Nandoan series, who was a this super wise, super helpful druid. So. Yeah, okay. Or, I mean, regular goblins tend to have low intelligence, but like the uh, the underbosses and bosses tend to have intelligence that's comparable to humans. Okay, I can I can see that you wouldn't want a, a racial ability hampering, especially if you're wanting to play a, a play a goblin where it's assumed that you've already you're you're already you know heroic class for lack of a better term. Yeah. Well, a couple of these races do have penalties, but these don't. Um, actually, what is really weird is considering how goblins normally are, they, in a way, their ability score improvements actually lend themselves quite well to them being several different spellcasting classes. Which is odd because, because if you look like, if you if you look through it, they're not really a spellcasting bunch. Yeah, I mean, there's a few, like, there's some special, like, names they have for ones that are basically warlocks and such, but those are few and far between, and we're, the fourth edition stuff, the goblins that live in the Feywild tend to be much smarter and tend to have magical powers almost all the time, so maybe that's what they're trying to do, just... Like, I mean, they don't get a bonus to intelligence, but wizards need both a lot of dexterity and constitution. So, and so do most of the other um, spellcasters. Yeah. And they've got Nimble Escape, which I I agree. If you're, if you're, that, that really does seem very goblin-y, because they, they tend to scatter when one gets hit. 
they also have a also every goblin I've seen in the um, book in the monster manual has that ability as one of their actions. So they're giving it to the players too. Well, it 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 would. It, I can see it helping not only as a tactical maneuver, but if you're if you're actually role playing it, you know you're you're in there, and if maybe the tide maybe looks like it's turning against you, might use nimble escape on your action just to hightail it out of there. Leave your party for dead. Yeah, it also yeah. it also really help, it would really help if you were a rogue too, which is something goblins are also pretty good at, because it effectively like would let you. If you didn't want to use cunning action or something for some reason, or you couldn't for some reason, you can. That thing it kind of allows you to do a couple things that cunning action normally likes you do. Now they they also get fury of the small, which I think Megan would like. Um, you add the plus level damage on any attack on something bigger than you, and if I'm not mistaken, aren't goblins considered small creatures not medium yeah so anything medium or larger lizard folk are medium it's right almost <laughs> yeah which is almost everything so yeah, I, I mean overall i'd say goblins are fairly the the goblin build is fairly weak but not insurmountable but i think that has more to do of the goblin just how goblins are in general, not a inherent crippling out of anything that's not balanced. But again, some of this I, I, is. I think is the goblins actually go pretty well balanced, but it's just my opinion. Going through as well, though, it's it's again where you know you may have some weaknesses to these specific classes or additional strengths that may be imbalanced from the, the standard campaign and stuff, and that's why there's advised use with caution. Well, you, you also got, I mean, it, I think overall it, it balances out. I mean, if you if you take a, uh, uh, you know, it, if you put a, a goblin against a bugbear, I think it's fairly obvious that it can use the, the bugbear just out of brute strength will probably win, but the but goblin also, might be able to hold its own with some of its other... Yeah. It's so, how it combines with the classes. Like, if you had this with Nimble Escape would also let this guy stay away and hit and pepper him from a range. And it would just, it would pretty much make the goblin a super rogue. I mean, he may not be able to do things with Barbarian or Fighter very well with it, but he could really supplement things like that don't like to get up close, like some of the versions of Bard or, or Wizard or rogue so or well not monk because you really want to be up in someone's face with monk but they actually have a lot of mobility and a lot of stealth abilities too so they've they've got a lot going for them mm -hmm. all right now one of your favorites zach yeah. the hobgoblin I think uh, Trump's a hobgoblin with plastic surgery. 
I, would... I mean, they're both big, they're both mean, and they're both orange. But do they have small hands? And and to be honest, I'm pretty sure the Hobgoblin military tactics are much better. But, so the ability scores is plus two to constitution and plus one to intelligence. Yeah. And Hobgoblins, one, they endure rigorous physical training from birth and pretty much their whole life is a military regiment. So that makes sense. And they are the smart goblinoids. So I think the intelligence is good. Because unlike the other goblins, they're kind of tribal or these people actually educate themselves and their troops. They learn tactics. They learn logic. They learn what they need to of magic or blacksmithing or to get their jobs done. So I think those fit for them. They're built about like humans are, so there's no real reason to give them a strength or dexterity bonus, I, I don't think. Oh, I, I... I put in my notes I might put in the option to either give constitution or strength. Um, yeah, all right. The, but I think that would be... Because they, they would make very, I mean, uh, put them as a, as a fighter and they'll just kind of start mowing well, people down. The Constitution also gives them a, a, ton, of, a, a ton of extra HP over the course of their, um, over their careers as adventurers by, because it ups their modifier by one automatically. Yeah, so... I mean, they get per, just out of the box. You you get proficiency in two martial weapons, um, but you get a recharge bonus to save face based on how many allies can see you. I mean, the the hobgoblins. I mean, as a as a player character, they'll they're just made for slashing through everybody, and yeah. what. What I, I like about the Hobgoblins is that they're not indiscriminate in so much that they're just killing everything for killing's sake. They they can and generally do have tactics. This is, this is one of my favorites, and not only because I just have played a Hobgoblin and think they're cool, and also like the Hobgoblins of Eberron, but everything in this uh Everything in these racial traits speaks to the culture, I think, directly. I think he's more so than a lot of the others. Oh, I, I, I agree. They, they, the, everything here is not a, really not a racial ability so much so like how... Um, you know, tieflings can survive fire or anything like that. It's more of you're a hobgoblin. You brought up, been brought up, and because you've been brought up a hobgoblin and dealt their training, you're proficient in weapons. 
which then leads us on to kobolds. And the <laughs> kobolds have a plus two to strength and plus two to dex. No, it's not using a plus. I'm sorry, minus two to strength, plus two to dex. Um, and currently they are the small, if you consider these playable, they're the smallest playable race in the game. They're a foot shorter than halflings. Halflings only get up to maybe three About, and a half feet. Yeah. So, yeah, these kobolds are, are tiny. and I think that looks reflected. And also, kobolds are not only tiny, they're shrimpy for their size. I mean, they, they are reptilian, but they always have, if you look at their figures or some of their pictures, they kind of have this rat small dog thing going on, too. They even describe them that, uh, they even describe them in a lot of books that they're speaking, they speak draconic, but with a yapping accent. So, kind of like, kind of high-pitched yipping, huh? Yeah. And these are the favorite, um, favorite, um, cannon fodder of most people. And even, they even, uh, kept that up with some of the monster versions of them that they revealed in Volo's Guide. Like, for instance, there's the Cobalt Inventor, which has a couple different special weapons that you can pick for them. Mm-hmm. And one of them is Scorpion on a Stick. <laughs> That's thinking and another, outside the box. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, but, they... Their their other abilities is does tend to support that they have pack tactics. Which... Yeah, that is that is because of that because of that versus a couple other things on them like their minus two strength. I'm still torn whether Cobalt. I'm not sure they should be allowed in a game. I would allow them, but still, uh, I'm not sure generally they should be allowed in a game, but. A, I can't decide whether it's because they're too good or too bad, because pack tactics is perhaps but, one of the most powerful abilities you could have as a melee fighter. Because it gives you combat advantage as long as someone else is fighting them too. It also effectively makes you able to do sneak attack whenever you want if you're a rogue. And also get to always roll twice when you do it. If you have someone else fighting them, so now they they I think to to help balance that out, they do have sunlight sensitivity. Yeah. Which would make them great sentries for a team at night, but pretty useless during the day. I I also love their grovel, cower, and beg ability. Just, I would love to roleplay using that ability. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd like to see that. I might I, I might put a couple of kobolds in our next adventure just so I can have them do that. I don't know. The, how they balance out, I think, falls in line with the rest of them. Their pack tactics can make them very, very powerful. But I think the uh, lack of strength and the sensitivity to sunlight does 
to help balance that out. Well, yeah. If you also look at the stat distribution for the, uh, the Cobalts versus the others that we've looked at, you're looking at a break-even versus a um, plus three for all the other ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it, at the, they, they have a strong... Also, that would be that would be a race where what what class you chose really did matter. Because in most of the time, even with the playable races that aren't, you know, directly suited for a class, you could go half-orc wizard and make it work. It would be harder, it would be hard to make it, you know, a power game type of half-orc wizard. But you could do it and be competent and everything. You could not make a, uh, you could not make a kobold barbarian or fighter. But you could probably do a rogue, a sorcerer, or a uh, or a monk rather well. Oh, I don't know. I think you could do a kobold barbarian, and it would be hilarious. Well, there is if you used finesse weapons, you could. Because uh, finesse weapons let you use dexterity for your attack rolls instead of strength. I'm just imagining a kobold with a massive inferiority complex just raging and getting angry about it. And, <laughs> uh, and then cower and beg. And... No, I, I was just kidding. Just yeah, kidding. The, fury, the fury's over, and it's like, I'm sorry, guys, don't hurt me. Don't squish me. All right. Well, let's, speaking of inferiority complexes, let's move on to the full-blooded orc. I think... Um, the ability scores here also net out at zero with a plus two to strength, a no, plus, no, one. plus one. Plus one. It got plus two strength, plus one. Unless I wrote it wrong. I think it's only got minus one or minus two to intelligence. It, it's a plus two to strength, plus one to constitution, and minus one to intelligence. But that's yeah. plus two. So it's a net two. You're right, my math was wrong. You rolled a one on your math check. Come on, man. I did. One on my math check. Um, so, I've played a half-orc before, and they were, te- they, they tended, it, well, it ended with hilarious results. Um, but I think a, 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 a full-blooded orc with it, it's going to be much harder because it doesn't have anything to, I guess, dilute the aggression um, that you would as a uh, as a full-blooded orc. Although I do do like the aggressive racial ability that you can move toward a target as a bonus action. Yeah. You have to be closer to him by the end, but still. And uh, being, you know, proficient in imitation. Imitation? Uh, intimidation. Yeah. Unless you're a bard, then I guess you could be proficient in imitation. I'm a pretty elf. That's right. <laughs> And, uh, I don't know, I think this one balances out, because you, you've got the, you've got a 
half-orc template to go to to base it against. You the half-orcs tend to be you know powerful and not all that bright, and in my case is a completely oblivious druid who thinks he know he's better than everyone else and knows everything. Uh, yeah. But I think I think overall it does work very well. I just I think they it would especially with that minus one intelligence would definitely definitely lends itself to more of the barbarian the warrior class. What's weird is because of the way things line up right now, until they release the mystic class, and I think the um, artificer also relies on it. There's actually only one class that uses intelligence as its primary skill, and that's uh, wizard. And you got some of it in bard and a little in warlock, but not not much, not so much as you couldn't get around it. It pretty much only locks the wizard out of them as being highly effective. Um, I I, okay. I I I can agree with you on that. Um, and you know, although I gotta say, I would I would still laugh if we I I don't know. I I can see a orcish druid, but it would be more shamanistic than straight up druid. Yeah. Um, although I'd like to, I don't know if we can get a, a druid uh, or a full, full-blooded orc druid resurrect my my old half orc druid and have them sneer at each other over who's who knows more. I'm still waiting for the warforged to come out so I can have an andruid. <laughs> Uh, I'd like to say that. And the final monstrous race for player characters, the Uanti Pureblood. Yeah. This one, God, I think it's plus... I don't remember what it's plus. It's one plus charisma. two to charisma, charisma, plus one to intelligence. Um... Which makes it a, basically a scary, scary warlock, sorcerer, or wizard right off the bat. And they're immune to poison, resistant to magic, and have innate spell casting for poison spray, animal friendship, uh, to snakes. Um, and third level suggestion once per day. And At third level. Not like casted. I'm sorry. At third level, at third level, they get suggested once per day, and I can. You're right. I can. I can see that as. A, you know, very, very. um, Powerful spellcaster, but I can also see it as a, especially, how they've. Described the pure bloods culture. As as a rogue, yeah, they tend to be very the the pure bloods especially tend to be very cloak and dagger. Yeah, and it could also 
see a couple of those experimental bard classes they've been working with because they had a couple like the College of Shadows or something like that. Or College of Fear. It was something like that. It was all shadowy and evil sounding. Well, I, I, I mean, with with the stat blocks it has and the innate spellcasting it has, plus the magic resistance, I could see it. I could I could see it being a, a very dreadful warlock. What do you think about thing... a bard for him? What? A bard. Oh, well, yeah, they rely on a lot of the same skills. But yeah, both of those it could do pretty well at. The problem this this I think uh, this I think more than any of the others is one that's much too powerful. To I, I would. I would allow people to play it, but I would say you're resistant to poison instead of immune to it, and I would just cut out the magic resistance altogether. I would. Magic. What? I I could I could agree with that. I mean, if you, you know, you're you're going to be facing not just in any in any campaign, a, a DM might throw a curveball and give a give a low level. Lizard folk, a magic, uh, a magic sword or a magic dagger that it might have found to to kind of help even things out. Uh, yeah, just magic resistance means it gets advantage on any saving throw it makes against the magical effect. So yeah, that would all the yeah that would that would make it. Uh, I agree that that gives it a bit too big of an edge. It also, as it stands right now, it's the only race with a type with a damage type immunity. A couple races are immune to certain conditions, like uh, like an elf can't be magically put to sleep, for example. But being immune to a damage type, I mean, it can just you could be fighting a green dragon, and the strongest green dragons are potentially campaign-ending bosses at level 20, and it does its dragon breath, and for them, nothing happens. And even if they were level one at the time, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. That's an I win button. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it, it, but it only does the dragon breath. I think dragon stomp is just physical attack. But I, I suppose that would depend on the how the DM wanted to to run that. Um, yeah, I agree. I think I think the the. The Yuan-Ti pureblood does need to be scaled back a bit. I mean, I would I would be happy if a player wanted to do it. I'd just have to scale it back. Because, I mean, there's even one uh, one novel I really liked, Venom in Her Veins, I believe, was the one. It was it was a great book, and the whole and the heroine was a pureblood. But, as was the main villain. But... Uh, so I'd be happy to have one role play in the party and everything, but I can't have it as is. Yeah, can't can't give anyone a a potential I win button, as Michael so eloquently yeah. put it. Yeah. Hey man, it only works in a couple of scenarios, but uh, when it works, it works. <laughs> like that, sixty percent of the time it works every time. <laughs> Yeah, of course you give any wizard fix. I mean, that 
if you had a party of Yuan-Ti purebloods, the lich would be, the lich would be seething. Because <laughs> liches actually don't have a lot of hit points, and they don't hit very hard, but they got really good spells. And when you get advantage on any saving throw against those spells, well, that is all the time we've got tonight. I'd like to thank Zach and Michael for joining me and discussing this, and we will see you all next time on Companions of the Perception Check. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Take care. Later. I would like to thank all of our guests, as well as thank bensound.com for our music, Extreme Action, You can find them at bensound.com.